Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey, listeners, welcome to Making Data Simple. Al Martin here on a 72-degree day now uh, in Kansas City. I think that's something like 22 degrees Celsius, so I'm in a great mood today. I have a good partner in crime today with me, Anna Echeverry. Anna leads Expert Labs Learning. Uh, she's a learning zealot. Uh, I'm a huge fan. She is uh, Expert Labs Learning Program Director. She does it for both uh, data and AI and automation as well. I know you have experience in sales. I know you have experience in client success. She's owned her own business, more than one business. I think the constant theme around Anna is that she's all about learning. I have little worries today because I think what I can do is probably just turn it over to you and you're going to hit the gas and you're going to go because I know you're extremely passionate about learning. And that's why I wanted to bring you on because we don't talk as much about learning. We talk about skills, but how to get those skills, I think we've just like skipped over that very important part. Anna, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you being here. How are you? Thank you so much, Al. I'm excited to be here today. So tell us about your history. I know like you got to tell us about the, the businesses you've owned. Give us a little history of yourself. Absolutely. So uh, I am Colombian. So the accent that you hear is Colombian. Uh, <laughs> I've been in this country for 30 years now. You said uh, very clearly that I'm very passionate about learning. And it really has been a theme throughout my life. It's very personal. I grew up in a small agricultural town in Colombia. My parents did not have college education, but they always raised me to believe that education was um, the keys to the kingdom. They always said, you know, you study, you learn, you work hard, and, and things will happen for you. So that's what I did. I um, got my computer engineering degree in Colombia. As I started working with clients, I got more curious about the business side of things. And that's when I came to the U.S. with a scholarship for an MBA. I started working at, initially with a business partner uh, to Informix, and then Informix was opening up their Latin American headquarters when I was living in Miami, and I joined Informix. This was the year 1994, and I did, um, initially started working in the training organization, and I built the training organization for Informix in, in Latin America. I spent uh, about seven years until Informix was acquired by IBM. Most of the work that I did was around growing the business through business partners, uh, initially in training. Then I moved on to doing pre-sales, sales, and leading the Central America and Caribbean region at the time of the IBM acquisition. I've been in the technology industry for about 30 years, about 20 of them. I spent uh, between, you know, Informix, IBM, then I went to Microsoft, Citrix, always focus on growth. So things that scale uh, at the time, a lot of work around uh, business partnerships and alliances, and which is something that brings a lot of scalability to the business. Then I, at some point, I decided to become an entrepreneur and I left the corporate world, started an e-commerce business focused on education. I had an educational toys business for about five years until Amazon started selling every product on earth and it was completely impossible to compete with them anymore. At that time, this is about 10 years ago, I started seeing the potential explosion of the data analytics field 
And I started researching, like, how do I learn more about this? My husband was relocated to North Carolina. And when we got here, I found out, surprise, surprise, that the only master program in the nation that existed in the field was here at NC State. And it was a, a total coincidence. I went to a talk by an IBMer that was talking about uh, the, the future of IBM. And he said, uh, at the end of the talk, he said, we can do all this if we have enough people skilled in this field. And after the presentation, I introduced myself to him and he said, I'm very familiar with this program at NC State. If this is what you want, go do that. And the next day, I was literally applying uh, to go back to school, got my Master of Science in, in Analytics, and completely switched into the data science field. Had my own consulting business, worked with a lot of startups in, in the area and in California until about six years ago when uh, my ex-manager at IBM called me one day out of the blue and told me, you know, we are really uh, starting to grow in this field of data science. And I was very excited about the potential of Watson, the Watson APIs, and, and everything about how IBM could impact the field of data science and machine learning at large, at scale. I came back about six years ago and I spent uh, about two years in a sales organization then in a consulting team, the data science elite team, and started gravitating towards uh, a lot of skills development projects. Um, I built IBM's data science apprenticeship program, which is a fantastic program to access uh, or, or bring people to IBM that don't need a college degree. And we work with them to actually turn them into junior data scientists in a period of two years. And I've been doing a lot of work with academia, uh, working, of course, building strategic skills programs for our clients, for our IBMers, and our business partners. So the, the great news about all of that, well, there's a lot of great news. You're with Informix, which is close to my heart. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? We about this all the time. Uh, I was with Informix. For all the youngsters out there listening, it was a, a great database, and we had such a great culture. So I hope the folks that are listening, every time we talk about Informix, it's like a there's a big fan base I get tons of LinkedIn, tons of uh, Twitter. We'll, we'll see if, if folks hit me offline and see how many people are listening and, and are form expanding. So we got that in common. So you come from good people. We know that. So you started out, uh, I guess, when you were doing form you're probably in Miami doing sales. Is that right? I started in Miami first building the training organization for Latin America. We were starting at the time the expansion into Latin America. And then I moved on to sales, tech sales and sales in the Central America and the Caribbean region. So now you're in mid-U.S. North Carolina, is that what you said? North Carolina, yes. Yeah. Beautiful North Carolina. Right. That's pretty far from Colombia, though. It is pretty far from Colombia. <laughs> I love it here, though. Uh, this is a little piece of paradise. But you have family back there, don't you? I have an uncle, an aunt, and a few cousins. Um, I only have a brother, and he lives in Miami. Great. All right, look, learning. Let's dive in a bit. Again, we often talk about skills. And speaking of skills, I was reading the other day. In fact, you know, Anna used to be on my team, and, and she's, as you can tell, all you or you will be able to tell, you just give her the range, you get out of the way. Uh, that's how Anna works in, in terms of learning. But And so I was about to say, you may have given me some of these statistics as we were going through learning and 
transforming learning within our services organization. But one of the metrics that you gave me, Price Waterhouse Coopers, you know, have a statistic that says 55% of company heads, CEOs, admit that their organizations can't meet the demand effectively. So learning is key, obviously. That's what, and, and from a services organization, we call ourselves expert labs because you got to be experts. That's what clients pay for. The question here is learning is becoming mainstream. I mean, it's always kind of been mainstream, but now it seems, maybe it's just me, but more important than, than ever, are there different industry factors uh, that you believe are driving that? Tell us a little bit about where learning has been and, and where it is today. I think there's been very significant changes. It used to be, I think, especially, you know, like people of our generation, you know, we would plan to go to college, graduate, and probably or very rarely would consider going back to school, right? You know, we would develop skills that would last for many years and we could have a career with those skills and maybe, you know, of course, you know, all the things that you learn on the job. I think that has significantly changed. Some recent estimates in, indicated that skills needed to be refreshed every five years. I think we're now down to every couple of years. So that means if you're not continuously in this motion of building new skill sets, you're probably going to be left out of, you know, of the workforce. You're probably going to be left out of the really great opportunities to deliver business value, right? So I think some things have significantly changed. It's one of them is the fact that skills get out of date faster. The other thing is, uh, I think, or at least I was raised kind of um, in a way where you needed to pick one area of expertise and just, you know, go do that, be the best at that thing. And I think that has also evolved. And I think there's a lot of uh, people now, and especially the younger generations, that are looking at the world in a more multidisciplinary, multidimensional way, which is, yes, I love some things, but I also love other things. And I want to develop expertise in different areas. And I'll just use myself as an example. So 20 years in, in sales, business uh, partners, and marketing uh, roles. And, uh, and then I completely switched and went into data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, part through education, part through the learning that we do on the job. But I think the really great thing is that by developing skills in multiple domains, you actually create a lot of synergy. So you can borrow from one domain and use strategies that have been successful in that area into your new area. And I think more and more, uh, there's more people that are like that. More recently, with the emergence of artificial intelligence, which of course is not new, you know, artificial intelligence has been around in the past you know, seven years, but um, the significant emergence in the past few years uh, really takes us even more into this space of having to develop multidisciplinary skills. Being in services, I find that it's kind of a litmus test as to you know, where the, the industry is, uh, from a technical standpoint or from a solution outcome standpoint. Right now, today, from a learning angle, you know, I talk with a team and I firmly believe you've got to spend like 20% of your time learning. Honestly, I get a lot of pushback 
I get a lot of feedback like, yeah, how do you find that time? We can't do that. My perspective is I know it's tough. I know it's tough with all the demands. You know, these folks have a day job. You know, you got personal lives. Everything. How do you find 20% of your time in learning? When you start to think about it, that's a lot of dedicated time for learning. But, I mean, if you're going to be not just relevant today, but tomorrow, you're talking about, like, transforming yourself every two years. What's your thought? I think more than drawing a line into, is it 20% or, you know, 10% or 50%, um, you kind of need to change your mindset. And it kind of requires all of us, really, to think about learning as something that is part of our everyday because there is, you know, structured learning as in, you know, you go and you take a class or you take a course or you, you know, you work on some technology labs. But there's also all the learning that you can do through interacting with other people, through listening to podcasts, through uh, reading blogs. So I think it needs to become sort of a part of what you do. Sort of, you know, like some of us have working out as part of our daily activities and I don't think we think so much in terms of like how do I allocate time to this it just becomes part of what you do and in the same way uh, learning needs to be that I do think it's important to put some thinking into your learning strategy into what you're trying to learn because learning for the sake of learning sometimes may be counterproductive right so, you know, let's say within the context of our services teams, you know, sometimes you have to prioritize the things that you're going to learn. Is it, is it focused on certain technologies? Is it focused on certain aspects of the work that you do? Let's say as, as a consultant, as someone that is, uh, you know, developing a product or developing content. So I think it requires a, a mindset change. But it also requires turning that into something that's fun and not something that it's like a short, right? Like it's not like, oh, my God, now I have to go learn. It's like <laughs> think about, you know, it's almost like it's a survival skill, right? It's a mechanism to keep. I agree. I agree in that respect. And I think I get what you're saying, but think of it this way. Let's go back to your analogy on the exercise. Actually, I enjoy exercise. It's still got to be a discipline for me. It's got to be a practice. I've got to turn it into a habit. I've got to push myself because, you know, five o'clock in the morning when I'm going to go work out, I really don't you want don't to want go work out. Yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is work out. But then I say, look, just show up. you got to do that. You know, you feel better about yourself after you do that. It's healthy. You know, on the same time, at least for me, I've got to like have that as part of my habits. I, you know, if I start putting it in my day and I make it happen, then it becomes a habit. It's got to be just like exercise. Otherwise, it won't happen. Don't you think? Yeah, as you're saying, turn it into a habit, right? So what does it take to turn something into a habit? You need to, one, think of the expected outcome, right? Like, why am I doing this? And that's uh, something that motivates you, right? So, you know, if you're, we're talking about working out, it may be your health. And, you know, when we're talking about skills development, I think in terms of career growth, but also in terms of personal growth. How do you make it a habit? I think like with any habit, you know, you tie it to some other event. Uh, for example, if you get up at five every morning to work out, so maybe you make a decision around, well, every evening or three days a week, I'm going to spend, you know, between this hour and this hour, I'm going to spend this time uh, learning. The way I do it, I try to find an accountability partner. 
how do you learn? I know you do. You know, at this point, I don't even think about it now because it's such a part of my life and it's something that I enjoy so much that it's like, I just don't, don't even think about it. It's something that I do. I think it's hard when you have to change a habit, right? When you have to build a habit. And I think your idea of having an accountability partner is great. I think in the context of an organization, you know, sometimes we pair up people in kind of a pilot, co-pilot type of relationship. That's a great way to do it. Another way that I think is very valuable is through mentorships. So to give you an example, IBM is very uh, invested into our apprenticeship programs. We have over 16 different programs. Uh, some of them are technical. You know, like I mentioned, data science. We have uh, business analytics. We have software development. Some of them are not technical. If there's, um, you know, we have HR, we have marketing, we have other programs. And the goal is to bring people in. And, and there's, there's actually three pillars to building the skill sets in these individuals to perform a job. One is education. The second one is a mentor. So having someone that it's a guide and that it's, that it's actually helping you through the challenges and helping guide you. And then the third is the actual real-world application and real-world implementation. A couple comments I would make. I'm with you on the mentorship. I find that most successful people have mentors. On the education, so where do we go now? I mean, what's the best way to get education? I read a ton. Now there's virtual education. There's live. There's a ton of stuff that's luring because it's inexpensive. is free. There's stuff that's you got to pay for, I'm a developer. What would you be doing if you want to keep up on education? Where, what kind of forums would you recommend? The good and the bad news in, is that there's so many choices right now that it's, it, it's both good and bad, right? Depending on the amount of time that you want to invest and the resources that you want to invest, there's tons of choices. Sometimes having so many choices makes it hard, right? Because it's like, what do I pick? So I think we still have, of course, you know, our traditional ways to give formal education through undergraduate degrees, masters, uh, PhDs. But I think over the, over the past few years, we've seen an explosion of um, education availability through uh, digital platforms. So especially, you know, we have uh, companies like Coursera, edX, that act as a platform to consolidate education many different organizations that are building education and making it accessible to a lot of people. I think it all depends on the individual. I know research says that the whole notion we learn differently is not true. However, I do think people have preferences, you know? So, so that, they, they, that research says that's not true? Research actually says that it is not true that there is different learning styles. No, it hasn't been able to be proved that, in fact, there is different learning styles. Saying that, I do think people have preferences. So, for example, I am a very visual learner. I like to see things. I'm a huge reader, but when it comes to actually learning something new or developing a new skill... I need the visuals that go with content. So it's See, not- I'm, I'm with you. I've got to believe that people learn differently. I mean, I, and here, I'll give you an example. My youngest daughter has a hearing deficiency. The pandemic has not been good for her because everybody's remote. Yeah. And she needs to be 
close to the instructor. And if she's close to the instructor or if it's uh, a test, by example, in practice, she kills it. If it's a test on paper and stuff, she struggles. And I think the hearing has something to do with it. So I got to believe our senses, you know, depending on you know, if you got better senses or another, maybe that's a unique situation, but I got to believe we learn differently. There's so many choices right now. There's access to experts that we didn't have before, right? And a lot of times for free. I run a lot into clients that tell me I don't have enough data scientists. So how do yeah. I take people that I have in my organization that know my business, that have technical skills, they're developers, for example, but I want to turn them into data scientists. So how do I do that? So here's a great example. We've done a lot of work around defining the skills competencies that go into becoming a data scientist. And for example, us at IBM, we have the capability of taking someone, even without a college degree, because we've done it for our apprenticeship program, but we also can take people that are experienced in other areas in a very prescriptive manner build the skills that are required for them to get to the role of data scientists. So we do this uh, by making education available on our own IBM training platform, but we also work with Coursera. We also work with edX, building learning paths that allow someone that says, okay, I want to become a data scientist. So you can go to these platforms and you're going to find learning paths that are already defined for you to start developing those skills. When do I pay and when do I not? In other words, you usually get what you pay for. You can do a lot of learning for free. You can do audits of courses for free. But I think people usually pay when they want to have an official, let's say, certificate that acts as validation of the skills that they've developed. The number one roadblock to technological adoption that can bring additional business value, uh, that can create competitive advantage, is lack of skills. So, so it's almost like we're sitting on this treasure that needs to be uncovered by providing our people the tools to, in a very prescriptive manner, develop the skills needed to bring uh, business value in different uh, aspects of the business. You know, we're just having a chat, which I love. Give me two examples. Say there's a small to medium business or an enterprise business. They're looking at getting into the AI space. They're going to hire Anna. What would you do if you went to a new business? They said, look, we have got to upskill for the future. We're going to, just as an example, we're going to rally behind artificial intelligence. Go create us a learning curriculum for us. You know, make it as cost effective as possible, but we want experts. What is Anna going to do? So the first thing that I think is important to understand is that, you know, sometimes people think of upskilling for AI as, as you know, you go take a course, you're ready. So uh, I think there's a lot of layers into the skills that need to be built, and they vary depending on the roles in the organization. So I think data literacy, you know, being able to understand data, the complexities of data, and how to turn data into insights is something that everyone in the organization should have. What I call AI literacy, which is uh, understanding what are the actual capabilities of artificial intelligence versus this abstract concept of artificial intelligence, and how to identify opportunities for the business in alignment with the business goals is something that especially business people should have. 
And then when we go into the technical domain, you know, there's, this is an ecosystem, right? So it's not like there's one role that can do it all. So we look at the skills that need to be developed for the people that are working in data engineering and getting the data ready and in shape and integrating it and uh, with the right governance around it. We look at the skills that need to be built for actual data scientists that are going to be pretty much focused on uh, training machine learning models. We look at uh, the field of MLOps. You know, once you build your models, you have to put them into production. Uh, These models don't stay performing forever, so they have to be monitored, they have to be managed, they have to be checked for biases, for, you know, biases that may have crept in after a model has been deployed. So there's like some layers of skills that we build across the organization, and then there's layers that become specific to individual roles. And all of that put together through an orchestrated framework that lets people understand where in the cycle or where in the face of the of implementing an end-to-end solution they come in and out and collaborate with others so here's what i heard you say you identify opportunities in line with the business goals and then you say inevitably someplace in there you're going to have to have data literacy data engineering governance within data engineering ai literacy and then individual development plans or team business plans that have a curriculum within all that construct I just went through. You said it better than me. Second question is, let's say I'm a engineering graduate and I think I got engineering skills, but I'm really seeing a lot of data science and going back to artificial intelligence to keep it consistent, skills and opportunities out there. I want to get into that. What would your recommendation be to that individual to be able to convert from that engineering or maybe a DBA, how do I make the leap? Or what prescription would you give me? I actually have conversations like this all the time with people that approach me with that question. The question is usually, I want to become a data scientist. What do I do? And my answer is always, why do you want to become a data scientist? I would say maybe eight out of 10 don't really want to become a data scientist. They just, you know, have heard that, you know, the field is interesting, there's jobs, there's good, you know, uh, good salaries, etc. So I usually like to drill into the aspects because, because again, this is an, an ecosystem, it's a team sport. So what do you love? Some people tell me, well, I love data visualizations. I love that ability to uncover, you know, insights from data. Then, well, you know, maybe you don't need to be if full, you know, data scientists, you can focus your skills around the capabilities of data visualization, you know, where we traditionally have full business intelligence. Some people want to build, you know, like quickly build applications that are infusing AI into them. For those individuals, there's actually a shortcut because there is frameworks that can be used. There is APIs, to use an example, like our Watson APIs where you can very quickly, let's say you're a Python developer, you can very quickly learn how to uh, use one of the Watson APIs to infuse artificial intelligence into an application. And that's something that doesn't really take tons and tons and tons of skills. Where it gets harder is when people want to really go into the field of machine learning, because machine learning is math. 
and you have to understand, um, you know, the, the characteristics of your data, how your data is distributed, and based on that, based on the type of data you're working with, you would uh, select, you know, which potential algorithms will work, and then out of those, you will have to determine what is the best algorithm for, let's say, uh, predicting a certain outcome. There's layers, there's differences in depth of skills that need to be developed. And like if my son came to me and said, I want to learn AI quickly, what do I do? I would say, you know, here, let me show you what's on APIs and let me get you started really quickly to start infusing artificial intelligence into an application that you can build. You know, I think what you say is wise in that uh, I know it doesn't sound exactly profound, but it is. And that's starting is the why do you want to become a data scientist? Yeah. So look, I, I want to ask you a few more questions, more about you. But before I do that, I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, because you lead learning for cloud and cognitive here at IBM. So what are you doing? What is IBM doing around learning? And what do you think you're doing differently? Or what's really innovative? What gets you excited about some of the learning that you're driving? I'll answer that in two different ways. So one is what I'm doing. The other is what IBM is doing, because IBM does a lot. What gets me really excited about working and learning at IBM is that I feel we have a tremendous opportunity to have an impact in the field, developing skills uh, for all these new paradigms and new technologies. What I do, I lead a team of experts that are building a strategic education for our clients. Uh, we use uh, standard curriculums that we leverage to train our own teams, to train our business partners. We also partner with Coursera, edX, to make available education for continuous learners. We work with academia. Last year, we launched one of the first open source education uh, programs. It's called OpenDS for All. And this is something we did in partnership with the University of Pennsylvania, uh, where we built a curriculum kit to help basically academic institutions around the world accelerate the creation of their, their data science uh, programs and artificial intelligence programs. That to me is very exciting because it's like, it's not just about the impact that we have to our own people, to our clients, but also having an opportunity to have an impact uh, around the world. IBM does a lot more than what we do within our team at Expert Lab. So IBM has the P-TECH organization that's very focused on uh, high schools and, um, and ensuring that there's people um, that, that have access within these P-TECH programs to, to STEM-related education. Um, we have an extensive uh, global university programs that works with universities around the world developing skills in different areas. And then, of course, you know, what I do, which is really exciting, uh, working with our clients and uh, academia, IBMers, and business partners. Wow. It's a lot. One interesting point that we haven't touched. So uh, a few months ago, the World Economic Forum did an analysis around technological adoption. So looking at talking to corporations around the world, saying, what are you adopting in the next five years? And at the very top of it is everything around cloud and everything around artificial intelligence. So that is the top priorities in terms of technological adoption. But then the next question is, what's blocking you? And there's different answers. The top three are related to skills. 
And that's why I say, I feel like we're sitting on top of this treasure that needs to be uncovered because all these organizations are trying to bring and create business value through cloud and artificial intelligence technologies, yet they realize that the major obstacle that they have is the availability of skills. That was a great book in, fantastic. What are you learning right now, Anna? We are integrating, I think you mentioned at the beginning that I lead our data and AI and automation uh, learning business. So I spent a good uh, chunk of my life on the data and AI side. So right now I'm very focused on learning about our auto- automation business. I'm a big reader too. So like you, I always have three or four books that I'm reading. What are you reading? What's your one you're reading right now? Oh God, I'm terrible with uh, book names. I'm reading a book about how to rethink Adam Grant's newest book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's talking about the power of not just learning, but relearning and the importance of it. Because a lot of times we, you know, we, we learn about something and we get so stuck into that new learning that we lose the ability to rethink what, what we learn and adapt to new conditions and evolve those thoughts. So it's, it's very right. intriguing. I'm reading Conversational Intelligence. It talks about actually how the brain functions around conversations and why we behave the way we do, which is kind of interesting. What's the biggest misconception in learning? I think there's probably one is the assumption that it's kind of magical, right? That you just, you just go and take courses and then you're ready to do stuff. I think that bridge between learning something new and actually putting those skills to use is probably the most important and the one that sometimes we don't think about enough. Uh, I think that's a great misconception. How does IBM do that right now in terms of valuing or putting that together? Here's the learning path. Now here's the path in practice. For example, in services, to be able to say, hey, look, you're getting an architect, you're getting a proficient expert, you know, versus an architect. I mean, you know, the different levels, if you will. How does IBM do that? So um, I think at IBM, we look at two different angles. So one is the actual technology knowledge, but we're also very focused on the professions and, and defining what it means to be a consultant, defining what it means to be a data scientist. And these profession certifications that we work around actually provide a path for going and validating the skills through implementations. So we, like any other organization, you know, we, there's a lot that we do that's virtual and it's you know, digital education. We also, of course, have the capability to do live education. Then we have uh, the ability to connect people that are looking for mentorship and mentors. Then the ability to shadow and participate in engagements Initially, let's say as an observer, but also, you know, as skills are developed, progressing to participate in engagements all the way until you're ready to fly solo. And then you get a badge or how does that work? So there's different aspects. So uh, we look at badges, certificates, certifications, and those, you know, some people use them interchangeably, but they're really all different. Badges tend to validate that you've completed, let's say, an individual course. Certificates usually validate that you've completed a collection, of course, let's say a more complete learning path. Certifications come in two flavors. 
some are your traditional technology certifications. They need to be delivered by a third party. So it's not you as IBM saying, I certify you. It's a third party saying, yes, we certify this person took this test and they, in fact, know what they say they know. But there's also the profession certifications that are focused on submitting evidence of work uh, in, in real implementations, plus other things, right? Like leadership, participating in, in let's say, speaker as conference, being a mentor is one of the things that is also looked at as part of that leadership component and kind of the give back a part of growing into an expert in a field. I'm curious, if you were going to college right now, you were starting out, what would you be studying? Oh my goodness. That's a tough one because I love what I've done, right? So I, I've loved my own journey where, you know, I started with computer engineering, then I went into- Would you do it again? I went Same to, journey? I don't know that I would do the next journey because maybe now there's other choices right now, right? But I think I definitely would look for programs that are more interdisciplinary. I mean, I would look for those programs that are mixing and, and kind of bringing the technical side of things with the humanities side. So for example, the newest trend in universities is building uh, masters in artificial intelligence. And these programs are, you know, where the humanities and technology come together. So I find that very intriguing. They all have a, an ethical component, which is critical for, for building trusted AI, uh, but they're also looking at the impact in society, the impact in communities, the impact of actually having systems making automated decisions that may impact different communities different ways. I would imagine, if I would have guessed, I would have said you would have really focused on machine learning or AI with humanity. I think it's fantastic. People probably will not take this the right way, but sometimes I think humanities has, has lost its flavor a little bit over time. Like you go into computer science and, you know, that, that's how you do it. But now, I mean, humanities is more important than ever, right? Yeah. With AI, I, I think that's fantastic. And I, I think we need it. <laughs> and my, uh, my daughter is majoring in anthropology and she always says she doesn't want to do anything with technology. And I, my forecast is that one day she and I are going to write a paper together. Because I, I'm, I keep telling her, you know, your field of anthropology is just going to come together with artificial intelligence. I so I agree. Who is the best learning ambassador that you think is out there? Who perpetuates the idea of, look, we need to learn. We need to continue to get smarter. We need to continue to advance ourselves in, in, in the right way. I mean, I don't know. So, for example, I, I do love the thinking that organizational psychologists are bringing to the table. And I was using Adam Grant as an example before and I actually mm -hmm. had to go Google the name of the book that I'm reading, which is Think Again. And I do love how there's a lot of research that's being done around learning, right? And, and around, uh, you know, how people learn and around the importance of uh, never stopping to learn. And looking at, for example, in business scenarios, you know, sometimes we make a decision, we go into a project and the project fails. And sometimes, you know, one mindset will be like, well, that project was a waste of time and money. But the other mindset will be, okay, what did we learn in that failure? You know, so what are the things that we need to not do again if we're ever going to do something similar? So 
So I think there's a lot of research around the field of organizational psychology that's very much tied together to learning that it's that it's quite interesting. That's fair. Fair answer. What do you do for fun? I cook and I have a cooking blog. And you do? I do. And I have recipes in English and Spanish, depending on where I find them. So is it Spanish food or is it English food or is it So my mom was a fantastic cook. And I actually, well, the name of my blog is in Spanish. It's called Recetas de Mercy. Mercy was my mom's nickname. And, uh, and Recetas is recipes. So it's like Mercy's recipes. I love cooking. So when I find recipes and, in, in, you know, Spanish publications, I test them and I make changes. And then I publish them on my blog in the original Spanish. When I find them in English, then I publish them in English. And I'm a big reader, so I think those are the two main things. What, what's your blog? It's in Spanish, Recetas de Merci. It's hard to share <laughs> it's, the Spanish words. <laughs> it's in English too, right? Yeah. And it's okay. all easy recipes because I like, I mean, I love cooking, but I don't want to spend, you know, five or six hours cooking. You know, I like the practical because I work, right? So I need to be able to finish work and then just go cook a healthy meal. So All right, I'm going to try one of these. So uh, we'll put it in the show notes <laughs> and I'm going to go check it out. You're always fun to talk to. Very smart. I learn a lot from you as speaking of learning, pun intended. <laughs> so uh, look, thank you for being on and, and chatting with us. Thank you so much. Uh, this was great. All right. Okay. Thank you again. And for everybody listening, again, I'll see you on the on the podcast. Please reach out to us at gmail.com. See you all. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.